Good day, everybody, and welcome to the Vittles and Vitals podcast, where we talk about important stuff and how that stuff connects to food, because everything connects to food. I'm Jay Reed. I'm the father. And I'm Jacob Reed, and I'm the son, and we're your hosts. So today we're recording on the night before Halloween. Spooky. It's Halloween Eve. Uh, Jacob just came from our church's fall festival. I'm actually still wearing the shirt, too. He is wearing the shirt with a pumpkin on it. Very big pumpkin. Um, so as you think, even though this is not going to be a Halloween episode, we've done that. But as you see little witches and wizards and people floating around tomorrow night, I'm sure we'll have a house full of people come by. And some of them will be dressed like the most famous wizard of recent years. And that is... Your wizard, Harry. It's Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Does that sound like Dobby? <laughs> I'm Harry Potter. Well, I was trying to sound like Dobby, not like Harry Potter. Well, I was just going. I'm just going for the little British boy. One accent. must not hurt Harry Potter. Actually, that was a pretty good Dobby. Thank you. Thank you. So we're going to talk about Harry Potter, but before we get into the vitals and why Harry Potter is important, I thought we'd kind of talk about a little family history. So, Jacob, what do you remember? What What's your Harry Potter experience? I think my earliest memory of just seeing a Harry Potter book was in Dubai. We were in some random mall, because there's about a dime a dozen there. And we were, I guess it was a Barnes & Noble Books a Million, one of those like big box store uh, bookstores. And I walked in, and they had this massive display. And I think it was either the Sorcerer's Stone or the Secret Chamber. What's what's it? Chamber of Secrets. Chamber of Secrets. I think it was the Chamber of Secrets because it's, if, yeah, it is because it's Harry Potter riding um, the Phoenix out of the other thing. So I guess the book had just come out, and that's like my earliest remember of seeing a book. Okay. But you know, I saw these books, but I had never read them because growing up, we were kind of a little anti Harry Potter, um, a little Southern Baptist in that way, if you could say that. But I did see a movie in the dark, dark pits of night <laughs> without my parents' permission. Because uh, we were on a plane. I think it was the United Arab Emirates. No. Uh, it could have been. Yeah. Yeah. Emirate Air. Emirate Air. Uh, but we're on this plane, and my parents have drifted off to sleep. And this was in the days where there was just one in-flight movie. There wasn't, like, little screens in front of you where you could pick your own. Oh, old school. It was very old school. And it was The Prisoner of Azkaban. Mm-hmm. And I was up there. I felt real bad because I was watching a movie without my parents' permission because I knew what it was. I knew it was Harry Potter. <laughs> and the only scene I can remember from that first watching was sitting there covered in my blanket watching Remus turn into a werewolf. And it just stuck in my mind for all of time. I don't think I slept a wink that night um, at all on that flight. A little bit because I was scared, a little bit because I was just watching this movie and it, it was in that awkward like 2 to 3 a.m. section. And some um, guilt. And there was some guilt. Was and, probably, and probably some guilt, but... Uh, Dad, you want to talk a little bit about why we were a little anti? We kind of got on the bandwagon of, of, you know, no Harry Potter in our house. And it was, you know, it wasn't like we had read something that we didn't like. It was just, okay, this is all about witchcraft and and dark things. And so we just thought we don't need to have that in our house. But our our thinking evolved over time. And we realized, you know, I kind of thought about my own childhood. You you have all kinds of witches and wizards and uh, all kinds of things in Merlin. Merlin. And, I mean, Wizard of Oz, you know, nobody ever said don't watch Wizard of Oz because there's witches. Um, 
any kind of Disney movie had, you know, magic in it. Mm -hmm. So I thought that I got to thinking, you know, we didn't turn into terrible people. We didn't start a coven in our neighborhood because we watched that or, you know, there was no secret youth group doing, mm -hmm. doing things with, you know, listening to rock music which, and oh, well, we playing might. Dungeons and Dragons. We, oh, now you, you're going to meddling now. <laughs> But so anyway, we finally decided it was okay. So they Jacob read the books. I actually read through them twice. Twice. Lauren I know has read the books. In fact, Lauren, Jacob's sister, was not a, a big reader. And that was like one set of books that she would actually read. And I think she read them all. And then she got the movies. She was really into it. She got the movies. And so the movies have been played in our house. I mean, we've mm -hmm. flat worn out the DVDs. Yeah. Mom is a major Harry Mom's Potter movie fan. fan. I don't think she's ever read the books, but she's no. definitely watched the movies at she least hasn't. six times through. So I had kind of watched the movies in piecemeal, never all the way through. And um, somebody that I follow a lot on on, um, on social media is John Acuff. Read all his books. Uh, you know, he takes some courses. And he had this challenge, a kind of a self-challenge last, last year towards the end of the year, where he was going to read all the books and then watch all the movies, you know, kind of before the end of the year, I think he was doing it. I decided to follow his lead, except I did it differently. I read the book, and then I watched the movie. I would read the next book, I'd watch the next movie, and watch it all the way through, and kind of compare the content of the book to the content of the movie. What I learned was, they're both great in, of, in their own rights, but there's so much content in those books that for everything to go in, the movies would have been, you know, days long. I mean, mm -hmm. there's just no way to pack all that information. So I think they did a pretty good job. Um, and it was, you know, I really enjoyed them. So that's kind of our, our history of Harry Potter getting us there. Of course, uh, Jacob and Lauren both have been to the Wizarding World and uh, Universal, and we'll get to that in a little bit. So let's talk a minute about why Harry Potter is important. So you did a little research on, on J.K. Rowling, the author. Tell us a little bit about what you found out. One thing, real quick, the reason that we're actually recording this episode and releasing it on the day that it's releasing is because that is the 18th anniversary of the first movie. That's right. That's right. That was just some key... I forgot that was the whole thing. That was the whole that was reason a, that we The whole reason this. that we were doing this, and it just popped into my head. So listeners, this was supposed to be at the beginning of the episode, but now we're just going to pop it here, but... You should go watch the movies. Yeah, November 4th is when we're hoping to drop this episode, and that is a, a, an anniversary of the movie, the first mm. movie, right? Yeah. Okay, so, so I'm glad you remembered that. Yeah, go go watch the movies. But J.K. Rowling, what a what an author, man. She wrote seven books, and they're crazy successful, but a lot of people don't really know the story about it. Um, so I was doing some research and looking into that, and she was actually rejected by 12 different publishers before she had one that eventually took that series. Who are now kicking themselves. Yeah, I was about to say, those those first 12 publishers are probably looking back on those meetings and that J.K. Rowling gal, they should have... Who knows how much money has been made by that publishing company. Billions and billions of yes. dollars. Yes, and that actually is a great tie-in. Um, because J.K. Rowling was actually a billionaire with a B, but she is no longer listed as a billionaire with a B. She's now listed as a millionaire with an M because she has given away so much money to charitable organizations. Yeah, good for her. So she she's definitely a philanthropist. Philanthropist. Wow, that is a hard word to say. But she is definitely passing out a ton of cash um, for this. Um, She's a woman of influence, too. She is very much a woman of influence um, because uh, 
a lot of the younger listeners will will probably realize this, um, but she has a very very active Twitter account. Um, a lot of what's Twitter? Okay, okay, Grand. <laughs> Twitter is another form of social media. It's not just Facebook. Or Instagram. Or Instagram. Um, but she, uh, listeners, or not listeners, readers will constantly message her asking questions and this and that. And one really big situation that a lot of people know about um, was a lot of readers had the opinion that Dumbledore uh, was gay. Um, mm-hmm. So they, they messaged her a bunch of times, and she eventually came out and said, yes, Dumbledore is gay. Um, and that's not the only time that she's done it. There's been several cases where uh, readers will ask questions and she will add information to the books through her Twitter account. And she'll just basically say, yes, this is this, this is not this, this is this, this is not it. So she's adding more information and expanding that storyline, even mm-hmm. though the books have been written and published for some time. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about that. I, I, as a person who has read hundreds and hundreds of books over my lifetime, I prefer to use my imagination. You know, it, it she is the author. It is her prerogative to talk about her characters. But I would rather just kind of leave that to my imagination. If that's what I feel like he is based on what I read, fine. If it's not, fine. But she's chosen to define it. So, you know, that's that's just mm-hmm. her thing. And I don't know. I don't remember getting any sort of those type of vibes um, from reading Harry Potter. But now, when you watch the movies with that in the back of your head, does it affect how you think of things? Uh, I don't honestly think it really affects me that much. I mean, Dumbledore is a strong leader and a a great mentor to Harry Potter. Regardless. Regardless. And I don't think um, him being gay or not is really going to affect the key aspects that I think she wrote him with. Gotcha. um, Being that good, strong mentor leader to Harry Potter. Okay, so she's she's a woman of influence. Um, The book series is the best-selling book series of all time as a series. And I did, I I read that on maybe MuggleNet or somewhere. I was on a Harry Potter fan site. Mm -hmm. But I looked it up individually and it is listed under um you know a couple of just neutral sites as the best-selling book series i read 400 million books once and i read 500 million books once so i think it's somewhere in between 400 and 5 million which books is sold. an insane pretty, amount of books amount of sold books. right um because i know we have one copy in our house but you know there's people out there who have their reader set and then the collectible limited set, editions i lim- thought yeah it's yeah. really Lends itself to that sort of collection. Mm-hmm. Somewhere, somebody has some like leather bound ones. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's probably some pretty nice sets. There's out probably there. some that, that squeak and, you know, like hands are reaching out, like the like the Magical Creatures book, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the book that will bite you back. <laughs> so, best selling book series. And one website said it was the highest grossing movie series or film series of all time. I looked it up and it's not entirely true, but we're going to give some qualifiers. The number one. Highest grossing movie series. What do you? What would you guess? Marvel. Okay, of course. Marvel is like eighteen billion dollars, but here's the asterisk by Marvel. It's twenty three movies. Mm-hmm. Harry Potter's uh, eight movies in the original mm-hmm. series, two Fantastic Beasts movies. So at best, there's ten movies versus twenty three movies. Nine billion plus for Harry Potter, eighteen million plus for Marvel, but double the movies. So I, I'm not sure. 
I think Harry Potter still has a, a pretty strong stance. It seems like there is a more, like each Harry Potter movie made more than a lot of individual Marvel movies. Because, you know, you have Endgame, which is the highest grossing film all the right. time. But that that is severely weighing it in the side of Marvel when, you know, per Harry Potter movie, those probably weigh a little bit more than... Yeah, if you compare to, Prisoner of Azkaban to the Hulk. Yeah, probably... <laughs> or like Ant-Man or something like right, that. Right, right, right. So the the second uh, Harry Potter's listed as third, and this was off Mental Floss and off off uh, Business Insider. So these are you know neutral neutral sites, but they all said the same thing. The number two was Star Wars, and it really wasn't that different. What surprised me, they're both in the nine billion range, but if you think about Star Wars having been out since 1977, mm-hmm. so with 24, I mean sorry, 42 years, mm-hmm. and Harry Potter's only been out since 97. Uh, well, the movies. A little bit later than like that, but the book series. The anyway, the Harry Potter didn't exist till you know ninety seven ish in mm-hmm. Britain, and so they, they've got twenty two years. So Harry Potter has done in twenty plus years what Star Wars did in forty plus. Now I'm a big Star Wars fan. I'm not knocking I'm a Star, huge Wars, Star Wars fan, but I just think that Harry Potter really has. Um, it may be ranked third by strict numbers. But when you compare notes like that and qualify things, I think it's right up there with, with the so other So before two. we move away from the movies, uh, what is your personal favorite out of the eight? Oh, my gosh. I could not tell you. I really couldn't. Um, they all kind of run together, so I, mm-hmm. I don't know. But maybe the first one, because I, I really like, you know, when when they were real little. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as they grew up and they got darker. Yeah. The movies did, and they got a lot more serious and... Uh, but I, so I liked them when they were smaller and cuter, and so I'd maybe the first or two, first mm. or second one. I think uh, my favorite was the Goblet of Fire, just for the Triwizard Tournament. That was Ooh, yeah. such a cool, you know, just seeing how each contender had different ways of doing it, and like from the books, you know, reading that you realize how much thought went to each method and stuff like that. Based and the relationship on, drama. And the relationship <laughs> drama, uh, but just the where he flies circles around. Um, the horned ridgeback or whatever the dragon's name was. It was such a cool, cool scene. That's true. I, I agree. So the thing, the, the third thing, uh, or maybe this is the fourth thing that makes it important is Quidditch. So Quidditch is a game in the in the books and movies. If you haven't watched it, where they ride around on broomsticks and they have balls and they do, they, they're looking for the snitch. They're trying to catch the snitch, which is a little gold ball with wings that flies around. Okay, so... That has turned into an actual sport. So Jacob knows he's seen more pictures, seen more a little more of the rules. I'll let you tell a little bit about the Quidditch leagues. Well, I mean, if you've read any of the books, the rules are exactly the same um, as written in the books, just without the flying part. Just without the flying part. Um, but they they even run around with broomsticks in between their legs. I think that's kind of dangerous. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But. You have beaters, you have seekers, you have keepers. They have. The th- I've actually seen a game played at MCP State because we have a club team, and they have the three goals and mm-hmm. people running around. Uh, but the best part of this entire game is the snitch. So if you remember, the snitch is a little gold ball with wings, and it flies very, very fast with the seeker's job to be catching it. Well, we don't really have autonomous balls that can play this. <laughs> So you just grab the fastest guy you know, dress him up in yellow, give him some cleats, and then tie a tennis ball in a sock to his to his shorts and like a tail. Like a tail, yeah. And he just sprints around and tries not to get caught. 
And I think that is the best possible way to create a snitch in a human game. I guess they could use drones, but in but in the in the human game, I think there's this probably. It's, I, I haven't seen one, but I think it would be cool to, pretty cool to watch. And the the thing about it too is there's like a international Quidditch association. There's hundreds of teams worldwide. There's world. Harvard has a team, right? Even University of Southern Mississippi has a team. They're part of the IQA. And uh, uh, there's a team in Daphne, Alabama. That was about the closest one. A couple in several in Louisiana mm-hmm. uh, were the closest to us. Um, so and then real, just real quick, another important thing that, that Harry Potter has brought is the Wizarding Worlds at Universal Studios. In, in Orlando, there's two different ones, mm-hmm. uh, Hogsmeade and uh, Diagon Alley. Uh, and we looked quickly before we recorded. I believe there's another one in California. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. a, again, Harry Potter's been around 20-something years. It's got three dedicated parks you know in on the on the line of the disney type stuff where and and again love love star wars but star wars just got a park at disney Mm -hmm. uh, galaxy's edge and so i just think that says something about about the appeal and the importance uh and then just one word of trivia i learned this this week accidentally uh thanks shout out to uh our friends at the pod goats podcast which is uh Phil and Campbell Valentine, another father-son podcast you should listen to if you have a chance. Uh, and they were talking about uh, movie music. And John Williams, I didn't realize, wrote the Harry Potter music. Mm-hmm. So he wrote Star Wars. He wrote Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Jaws, uh, Superman, all this kind of stuff that was kind of my generation. And But he's still going with crazy big stuff like Harry Potter. So it's kind of a generational bridge. And that just thing. proves the quality of the stuff he puts out. I mean, he is such a great and prolific composer yeah. and it's just beautiful music all around. So Jacob was telling me as we were talking about this, he said, you need to do the test. You need to do the quizzes and find out your, your stuff. So we did, I did the, I guess, Pottermore quizzes and you want to tell us what you, what you are? Yeah. So, um, just going kind of down the line with the big three. So I'm a Gryffindor. Um, as am I. Yes. So we are in the same house as Perry Potter. And it makes sense as you are my father. Um, I was a little nervous. Yeah. They kind of go in those lines, you know, your father, your house is your father's house, all that good stuff. Um, and then after that, we have our wands. Um, mine is a 13 inch made out of willow wood with a slightly springy bend to it. Mm-hmm. And then finally rounding it out with uh, dragon heartstrings. So mine is very similar to Hermione Granger's. Okay. Uh, one, so it's more uh, for a light and more accurate magic use. Uh, see, I didn't look that much into mine. Mine's a sycamore, ten and three quarter inch, with a also slightly springy, and with a unicorn string of some sort. That's actually you know. the same core that Ron Weasley had. Oh, really? Yeah. So the one that broke? No, this is the one before it broke. So this is after his dad won all that money, and they all got to oh. go on that vacation, and he got that new one, and this. The one with the unicorn hair is the one that actually chose him. Oh, okay. Well, I can leave with that. Mm-hmm. And then your uh, Patronus? Oh, yes. My Patronus is the very rare orca, so the killer whale. What about you? Um, I didn't do well on this test. <laughs> I, my Patronus is a gray squirrel. But I looked him up, and I'm, I don't feel so bad. The orca says uh, in the description, there's no mistake that orcas are nicknamed killer whales. They are one of the most effective hunters in the ocean. Orcas use teamwork and complex communication skills to hunt and the same cunning to protect their young. You don't have any young, do you? I don't think I do. All right. With the fierce calculated protection of an orca on your side, you can rest assured that the Dementors will be no match for you. 
the gray squirrel, and actually, you know, this is actually some truth in this. The gray squirrel is a planner. Mm-hmm. Preparing months in advance, squirrels hide nuts for the winter. So that's kind of my food thing. I'm always having food around. You always um, do. Representing play, energy, and resourcefulness, these little rodents are prepared to face hard times. I was fine until they said little rodents. So anyway, so we have our, that's our background. Let's talk about the food. There's no way to deny it that, you know, you're reading these books and you get some crazy names. You have treckle tarts and spotted dick and, uh, golly, um, shepherd or meat and kidney pies, steak and kidney pies, steak and kidney pies. So humbugs, crumpets, black pudding, all these things, kippers. And what did we decide? Basically when I read these names, I thought, or what I guess when I first heard them in the books, my thought was, well, these are like special Hogwarts foods. But the more I looked into it, the more I realized this is just British food. Yeah. It just I sounds mean, exotic because we don't know what it is. Yeah, but, I mean, just looking into it, uh, we, I think a truckle tart was like a lemony, syrupy Yeah, pie. it uses Lyle's Golden Syrup, which is mm. a British thing, which we used to get in overseas. It was easy to find. It's not so easy to find here. Yeah, so it just, you know, you were looking up all these recipes expecting, you know, this is Harry Potter food. And it's like, nope, this is a super easy follow recipe. It's been eaten by the Brits for for a very long time. And, you know, there's always that little bit of magic attached to it because they, they go to the uh, the dining hall and they're sitting there and, you know, the the ham and cheese sandwich platter never runs dry. You know, you take one off and another one appears or, you know, you grab a little bit of pudding and there's a little bit, that pudding never runs dry. So, you know, there's a little bit of house elf magic going around. They're, they're whipping it up in the kitchen downstairs, but as soon right. as they're ready to go, they just... Send it and I think that's an important point to note for if you care about this, is that the food is not created by magic. The food is actually cooked, and then it is just transported by magic from the kitchens downstairs at Hogwarts to the, the banquet tables above. But And I think it's also important to note, and this is not just in Harry Potter. This is a parallel to real life. Lots of important scenes in the books happen inside the banquet hall. I mean, some really killer important scenes happen there. Around the food. And that's something that's just like life. Things happen around the dinner table. Things happen at banquets. Things happen, you know, when you people gather to eat. So uh, that just reflects life. Uh, there was a lot of talk about food at the Weasley home, at the borough, I believe it was called. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she's always whipping. Now, she's using magic to, to move things around. Yeah. Um, but the funny thing that I learned or that I read was that the food had to be, somebody, I don't know if Dumbledore said this or somebody else, but the food had to be real. Otherwise, it would disappear. I mean, you could create food by magic, mm-hmm. but it wouldn't last. Yeah. So my thought was, you know, what? That's like uh, the Harry Potter thirty diet. You know, <laughs> you create it by magic and eat it, and you're satisfied, and then it disappears. That would be a, a true a true diet. That'd be a fad diet if I ever heard one. Yeah, that would be a fad. It wouldn't last long. So you've got the the burrow. You've got the banquet hall. You've got. Um, in Hogsmeade, you know, they go to the, was it the Leaky Cauldron? That was in Diagon Alley, right? Mm, that's the Leaky Cauldron. Yeah, uh, Hogsmeade then, has uh, the candy store. Well, Honeydukes, Honeydukes, right? that's the one. Right, so Honeydukes is probably, I mean, they have, I guess at the any kind of Leaky Cauldron, any kind of a pub type situation, that's where they would go and have their butterbeer. Mm-hmm. So butterbeer may be something that was actually created for Harry Potter, because I don't know that that, was something that existed before. No, that is a that is a strictly Harry Potter um, drink because I actually read an article 
about the butter beer that's found at U- the Universal Studios, mm-hmm. and that's the most popular thing that they sell there. You know, you'll go. They have a stand on every corner, and you'll go, and the line will be thirty minutes long still, even though there's three in a row. <laughs> um, and I've had it, and it's delicious. And I was reading this article about this team of cooks worked for years trying to figure out exactly what because you know they're planning out this studio long in advance before they right. build it so they're they're thinking about everything so this team of cooks at universal came up with a butterbeer recipe and they had like nine different ones and they flew it to the uk and prepared them all for jk rowling and had one that they oh. thought they had one that they thought was going to be the one and she take a sip smiled and said this is butterbeer and that's the recipe that they still use today wow. at Universal Studios. But everybody and their aunt and their mother has their own butterbeer recipe. And we actually tried to make two of them before this recording. We did a taste test tonight. And I don't think either of the ones that we picked were even close to what yeah, our, <laughs> what J.K. Rowling's favorite. Yeah, ours ours were not that great. Um, I think, this I think it was be, just too easy. Yeah, we, we need to spend some time actually whipping something up in the kitchen. Some actually melt butter and brown sugar. I've seen some recipes, and I think when we have a little bit more time, you know, I'll try that. But uh, in the meantime, it was kind of soothing to my throat. I got kind of a little sore throat. So well, I mean, so it's it's doing something for you. The butter so beer good. did help. I've got a little here uh, beside me. Um, that's probably all. I, we, that's all we tried to make. The chocolate frogs is a big deal. Lauren has a chocolate frog box in her mm-hmm. room and a bottle of gilly water. Of course she does. I didn't actually know she had that. Yep. And um, so that that's something. And, of course, like I was saying before, Honeydukes is really where the, the, the magical things. The magical stuff happens. So you've got the fizzing Wisbees, which you can eat, and it's supposed to lift you off the ground. You've got sugar quills. There's a lot of stuff. I think the one candy, though, that has made it into the mainstream mm-hmm. is the... Every flavor beans, and now I've forgotten the guy's name. Somebody bots, right? Yeah, it's Benny or Benny Bots or, or Bernie Box. Every flavor beans, and there's a game. You like you have this box of Jelly Bellies, basically, mm-hmm. and you may have two kind of green ones, and one of them tastes like apple, and one of them tastes like vomit, mm-hmm. and they look just alike. It's it's it, kind of it like was, Russian roulette with jelly beans. It was the Bean Boozled game before the Bean Boozled game came out, because the Every flavor beans came out in the early 2000s and have essentially been made since then by the Jelly Belly Company. Mm-hmm. But in the last couple of years, they had that bean boozled one that came out. Um, so very similar. Um, but I've I've had a couple. Earwax is kind of gnarly. Oh, it looks just like buttered popcorn. So it's it's a it's a little crazy to say the least. No, see that's the kind of thing that would just make me gag. I don't see it happening ever. Um, just a couple other quick things. That's the Honeydew stuff. I don't, I was reading that, you know, they've tried to create stuff in the Honeydew store at their Wizarding World, but it's kind of just candy. Yeah, you can, you can only do so much. I mean, like, they've tried to do some, like, I think the Fizzing Wisbees maybe are like Pop Rocks or something mm-hmm. like that. So, you know, it, it's okay. But, uh, you know, that wouldn't be my thing. But uh, some of the other food things, real quick, that were in the books, so like, like Hagrid would cook and i think sometimes they wondered you know what what was actually being eaten or, mm-hmm. or drunk uh from, from hagrid and then i'd almost forgotten this nearly headless nick had a death day party and there was all kinds of nasty stuff fungus on peanuts and 
I read the list. It was, it's not something anybody really wants to, to know about, but there was a whole nother side of, of nasty food at this death day party. And that's, that's pretty much it. Um, I don't know. I've always kind of wondered whether butterbeer was alcoholic or not. Um, you know, since I, it was children drinking it. But. I think it was because there's been a there. They talked a little bit about how it gave you a little bit of a buzz uh, while you drank it. So Ooh. I think it was a little little boozy. Not a, a lot little, of boozy, little, but just a little, little boozy. Touch. Well, probably is not at what you thing at the. Uh, Leaky Cauldron. At the, well, I mean, at, at, at Universal, it's oh, probably yeah, yeah. No, probably no, not. No, no, not at all. Not at all. All right, so you know what those drum beats mean. Hey, Dad, what's your flavor for this week? My flavorite for the week has to do with a connection I made this past weekend. I was in Oxford at the Southern Foodways Alliance Symposium. I met a guy named Tommy Tomlinson. He does a podcast called Southbound. He's from Charlotte. And uh, so after we talked, uh, he's written a book, and, and we were talking at the at the meeting. And so I downloaded one of his podcasts to listen to on the way home. And the first one I saw was an interview with Rhiannon Giddens. Now, that's not a name that you would necessarily know unless you're you know, into certain kinds of music. But I learned about her a few years ago. I was at another, actually another SFA meeting and at the Thacker Mountain Radio Show. And the, the house band, the Yellow Bushwhackers, were singing this uh, song called Cornbread and Butterbeans. And I just really loved the song. It was a food-focused you know, food yeah. uh, uh, Thacker. I love the song, so I looked it up and found out it was sung originally by the Carolina Chocolate Drops. So I started listening to them, loved the music. It's kind of a, a throwback to black string band music. And Rhiannon Giddens is the lead singer, the least of the lead female singer. And uh, they're not together anymore, I don't think, but she's doing all kinds of other projects. She has this golden voice. She plays the banjo and uh, a couple of other string instruments. Just amazingly talented. So I just that's my flavor of the week to encourage anybody, if, you're, if you like that kind of music, to check Rhiannon Giddens out. Yeah, that's super cool. Uh, mine does deal with this one just a little bit because the guy I'm going to recommend is British. Uh, so my favorite for this week is James Hoffman, uh, his YouTube channel. Um, so if you know me at all, I'm a huge coffee guy. Um, me and Dad are both coffee guys, and we'll probably eventually have a coffee episode on the podcast. Uh, but James Hoffman has been in coffee since, I think, 2003, started a couple companies, wrote a book on coffee. But his YouTube channel is really, really cool because he just talks about coffee. So he will review a, a hand-pressed espresso machine or a, a grinder or talk about coffee sodas or coffee LaCroix. So he just talks about anything coffee. But the, the best part about it is that he has a, a very science-y approach to it. So when he's making a pour-over, he talks about the thermal conductivity of the material and the the thermal, he uses thermal a lot, basically just talking about what the temperatures they need to be and how you need to maintain temperatures to get the best extraction. And you're a chemical engineering student, so I'm sure. Yeah, so just... I un unfortunately understand all the words that he's saying. <laughs> but it's just, uh, it's really satisfying. The filmmaking is incredible. Um, it's very aesthetically pleasing, and he's got a luscious British voice. So <laughs> it's just a really, it's a really enjoyable 
uh, to watch. So, my... so I think it sounds normal for me to say that Rhiannon Giddens has a luscious voice. But when you say James Hoffman, the coffee guy, has a luscious voice, I'm not quite sure what to think about that. Yeah, you know what? It's, it is. He's British, so we'll be okay with that. So my recommendation, again, is James Hoffman, James Hoffman's YouTube channel. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'd love it if you'd give us a five-star rating on whatever podcast platform you have found this podcast. And you can find us on the worldwide interweb at Vittle Vital Pod on Instagram and Twitter and Vittles and Vitals Podcast on Facebook. And remember, if it's vital, look for the Vittles. <laughs> <laughs>